1: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, now, just to be honest with you people, we normally record this at 10am on a Sunday morning, but we're doing Saturday morning this week, because at 10am on Sunday morning, I shall be in the Pawson's Arms with a pint of Guinness and a foot-long ham roll. <laughs> Breakfast of champions, I'll tell you. Actually, I was feeling quite optimistic about the FA Cup quarter-final to Everton beat Newcastle which was a good win for them but a bad news for those teams in a relegation battle like Brighton Kieran
0: <laughs> yes well
1: <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't want a boring
0: end of season and uh, th- thanks to our ineptitude 10 goals for
1: Kevin 10 goals at home so far this right. season <laughs> no, it? it's not good is it for, for England's greatest ever manager copyright Sky TV in the match of the day um, it's questions day Kieran we've got some, some goodies today as always oh yeah and um, the first question comes from Michael Sicari. Um, Michael says, what's to stop major clubs from Europe's second-tier leagues creating their own Super League and abandoning their domestic leagues? So I'm thinking of the leagues six and below in UEFA rankings, where there may be two, three, four very famous and big clubs that are way ahead of their domestic competition. So Ajax, Celtic, Rangers, Porto, RB Salzburg, etc. You, you could easily come up with a league with... with a lot of traditional names in there, Kieran, couldn't you? Does it make sense financially, or would it? Well, there has been talk on more than one occasion about something
0: called the Atlantic League, Indeed, which yeah. would involve Scotland, Portugal, perhaps the Netherlands, perhaps clubs from Scandinavia, uh, and so on. So uh, it's never got very much further. Now, the reason why, uh, from a financial point of view, that um, that they, they won't do so is that it's actually quite nice to be a big fish in a small pond, mm. um, and you know we've seen the duopoly in Scottish football for for how many years? Uh, since you know since the since the mid eighties, no other no club apart from Rangers and Celtic as one, and and they quite like that. Yeah, they yeah, they, they they're not too bothered about that. Um, I think the big issue, however, would be if uh, if they were to to resign from their domestic leagues and create their own league, then how are they going to qualify for UEFA competitions? because you know at present the the dutch champions the the austrian champions the the scottish champions they, they all go individually into either the group stages or the preliminary rounds of uh, of the champions league and it's ridiculously lucrative so if if we take a look at the take a look at the, the 2019 competition which is the last one I've got figures to for hand porto uh, made 80 million euros from I think they got to the quarterfinals mm. of the Champions League. Ajax, remember Ajax uh, yeah. and that match against Spurs. Well, yeah. Ajax made seventy-eight. Galatasaray, who who got knocked out at the group stages, they still made thirty million quid. Would they be getting those types of money from their own domestic league? No, only one of them can be champions. Now they might they might get two. Uh, you know, depending on where their their UEFA ranking was, they might get two. Uh, going into the group stages of the Champions League, but that would mean that you know, if if it's if it's won by Ajax and Porto comes second, it means that Celtic or Rangers or Galatasaray or all, all clubs who, in their own rights, are still very big clubs would have. Pretty much zero chance of, of qualifying for the Champions League that year. And uh, the, the impact uh, of UEFA participation is massive for these clubs. Mm. And, and would they make more money from a domestic league? Probably a bit more. Is it enough to compensate what they're potentially going to lose in terms of UEFA participation, I would suspect
1: not. Well, also you've got travel costs and you know, Celtic and Rangers fans who turn up in their numbers uh, at various Scottish grounds probably wouldn't be too happy having to fork out to go to Austria, Portugal, Holland. I mean, obviously these are lovely places to go, but not when yeah. you, not when it's costing you a fortune to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, no disrespect, if it, if it is Salzburg on a Tuesday night, in in november and you know one of you is six and the other one is eighth Where, where's the appeal because yeah. you know part of the appeal domestically is goading the opposition fans because you you've got a bit more in common with them and and that can't take place or, or you know probably won't will take time to take place because you, you've not got that natural rivalry or or, or you know pre to to dislike them because you know you were born in South London, or you were born in Brighton, or Newcastle, or Middles, wherever it's going to be, um, and yeah, I, th- I think what what are the attendances going to be like? Because isn't it a bit like the Europa League? You know, no, nobody nobody really cares yeah.
1: I'd, until I'd, you get to you know, the yeah the quarterfinals. Say, so. I'd quite like in a way, Dad Salzburg, singing sound of music songs back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fans of the other jolly club also i like the fact that you've come up with a new version of the cliche can they do it in Salzburg on a rainy tuesday night <laughs> um, our next question comes from jimmy mulvey hill uh, which frightened the life out of me because initially i read it as jimmy mulville so i was <laughs> yes. wondering, I was wondering <laughs> why the head of all things comedy in this country was, was asking us a question uh although he's an everton fan so he probably has got questions but jimmy mulvey hill as a very interesting question but it comes with a bit of a bit of biographical detail about the family so if you could just bear with us here uh jimmy says that my father worked as a shuttering engineer for 48 years, building the wooden framework moulds that concrete would be poured in to, to make structural supports, pillars and stands on stadiums like Wembley, the Emirates, the Den and others. I believe, Kieran, that Uncle Terry also worked on some concrete pouring jobs. <laughs> uh, so he may have come across Jimmy at some stage. He probably um, slipped him a fiver for, <laughs> for turning the blind eye. Yeah. 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 Um, now, he mentioned, uh, Jimmy's dad, that is, not Uncle Terry. Terry's, Uncle Terry mentioned nothing. <laughs> mentioned nothing, son. Um, but Jimmy's dad mentioned that some stadiums were built with upgrades in mind, so with bigger waste pipes, electrical inputs, extra wide foundations to support extensions to stands in later years, etc. Such an approach has more costs and needs more planning at an early stage but could save a lot of time and money at a later date, says Jimmy. Now, assuming that the football teams own the new build stadium, would extra money spent doing this be held as an asset on the books, on the basis that it could save them money later? Um, yes, it would. I mean, if if you uh,
0: if if you invest in infrastructure uh, in terms of future proofing your stadium, then that cash invested. Um, is is spread over the life of the stadium so normally uh if, if you spend it now it it uh, it's a bit like amortization you, you you spread it over 50 years uh for, for a stadium it tends to be the rule of thumb uh, via depreciation so' uh, is, you, an upfront cash cost but from an uh, uh for an ffp pot perspective it's all exempt anyway because it's infrastructure so th- there's a lot to be said for future proofing uh you stadium i know i know when we moved into the amex it was uh a twenty thousand capacity stadium um and then 12 months later they 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 put up a shelf and we're thinking what's that shelf for and then, and then a load of you know another eight or nine thousand uh uh tickets appeared uh tickets seats mm. it's, it's it's i'm not i'm not used to saturday mornings <laughs>
1: Welcome to my world. Carry on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, right. so yeah, it, yeah, it makes it, it. It does save them money later on. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, and from an FFP point of view, uh, it, uh,
1: it it washes its own face. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the Cheltenham Festival this week. It was lovely to see it, people back. I didn't have a bet, so that helped me enjoy it. But my enjoyment was completely ruined when the owner of your club. One, one of the big races. It's just uh, <laughs> having to, having to watch these blue and white-clad minions in the. <laughs> I'm delighted for him. Hearing obviously, um, our next question comes from Declan Kelly. I'm going to take a punt here and say that I hope Declan had a good St Patrick's Day. Uh, apologies if <laughs> I'm wrong. Not as good as me watching the Undertones. Oh, of course you went to the Undertones. Oh, didn't you? How was it? Oh, but they were—they
0: absolutely knocked it out of the park. They, really. The thing about the Undertones is that they come onto the well. N- n- now everybody comes onto the stage with a smile on their face, yeah. um, <laughs> including the singer. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, the great thing about an Undertone Undertones gig. Is that they? I think got through twenty
1: eight songs in fifty seven minutes, which is which is how it should be. It it, it is how it should be, Kieran. But we all know what songs everyone's waiting for. It's just it's just a question of whether you know they can't do them at the start, as everyone will bugger off. So I think I can pretty much guess what the last two songs would be, Kieran. I I imagine my perfect cousin was one of them. It was indeed, absolutely, absolutely. Teenage kicks, I imagine, would be the last.
0: Teenage kicks was was early doors, was it?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's because they're aware of the inherent irony of a room full of 60-year-old men that went out teenage kicks at the top of their voice. <laughs> I think I think there would have been quite a
0: few visits to the osteopath on Friday morning <laughs> because some of them are going, oh,
1: I think you're a bit too old for that, mate. You're going to regret that. You really are going to regret that. Anyway, Declan's question is, and this is a question Declan has articulated something that quite a few fans have been saying to us. Uh, And Declan says, surely it would be sensible for the EFL to adopt a version of the La Liga approach where budgets have to be approved pre-season. If a club budgets for a loss, the owners should be obliged to put the projected loss into an escrow account to be drawn down during the season, or they have to balance the books some other way. What do you think? Um, I think Declan's suggestion has a lot
0: of merit. However, the EFL as a body is owned by its shareholders, and those shareholders are the club's. So um, I, I believe that there was uh, a suggestion made by the EFL board that, for example, they, they introduced some form of wage cap into the championship um, when about nine months ago. Remember, we we had those those wage caps introduced at leagues one and two. Yeah, um, and I think the the board read the room, should we say, and just didn't even bother to put it to a vote. It was quite clear. So the rules that we have at present are the rules um, as voted for by the EFL members. Um, If they want uh, greater financial control um, and uh, greater governance in terms of uh, being able to uh, comply and and monitor the the activities, then A, they've got to vote for the EFL to take on more staff to, to enforce the rules. Um, and be that they've got to accept that um, those clubs that have taken a, uh, you know, we've got a rich owner, it's our money. Let let's let's just let's just gamble um, and, and try to get to the Premier League on the back of that. Well, there's quite a few of those clubs still in existence, and um, that that means that there's no there's no appetite for such an approach and, and i think this is one of the confusions people think that the efl is an independent body yeah. of the clubs yeah. but it's not Yeah, you know, the, the efl ultimately uh you know it, it it's there as a sort of an administrative body which is to um apply the rules which have been voted for by the clubs if we had an independent regulator <laughs> then perhaps that relationship might change have you been texting
1: tracy crouch again
0: we 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 had, a, we had a little message the
1: other day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Kira, <laughs> a, few, a few chuckles. You, you know, there are two reasons why I, I do this pod. One, because I read out loud quite nicely. <laughs> uh, two, because I don't understand football finance. Um, the, the one thing I didn't quite understand about Declan's suggestion is if you're if you're budgeting for a loss, where do you get the money from to to put that into escrow to cover the loss if it if it's going to happen? Because presumably, if you're budgeting for a loss. You're short of money in the first place, aren't you? Okay, right. Again, we got to the separation
0: of of parties here. If the club says to the EFL, we anticipate a loss of £15 million, the EFL's fear, and let's face it, let's let's think about what's happened at Chelsea here, the EFL's fear is what happens if halfway through the year the owner's personal circumstances change? Either he gets bored, the Mel Morris route, or – he gets sanctioned as in terms of what we've seen with Roman Abramovich. So what what Declan's suggestion appears to me, if, if I interpret it correctly, and, and this is why I really like it, is that if you say, we think we're going to lose £20 million this year, then at the start of the season, the owner says, right, I'm going to put that money up front. I'm going right, to lodge that, that £20 million in an account um, which can be drawn down and approved by the EFL on a month-by-month basis. Right. And uh, and if and if and if the club uh, budgets to break even, then no money goes into the account, and the club chooses a wage wage bill that works accordingly. So, um, I you know I, I like it. I think he's he's come up with a you know, a, a very uh, a very practical but also flexible uh, scenario. So we we've got clubs such as Stoke City who have said, you know, our owners, as we establish, are richer than God if they want to lose 100 million pounds a year why can't they mm. well okay there's a there's a sporting integrity issue but you know sporting integrity doesn't exist in the premier league we've got some clubs that have got 4 or 500 million pounds more than others so should should that therefore also apply, um, as far as, as the championship concerned. Yeah, that that's that's a separate decision to be made. But they certainly have the money. They lodge the money with the EFL and they say, Well, we we, we anticipate that our wage bill is going to be five million pounds a month, more than the money comes in, and then each month, you know, a bit like a, your dad handing out your pocket money when you're a kid, you get your check for five million pounds to pay those wages. So so it it, it could work. Would involve you know m- more work on behalf of the EFL, so they'd have to employ more staff, which means that there's less money in the central pot, which has to be know dit- which is then distributed to clubs and so on. So, so yeah, it's 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 got merit.
1: The way you said, uh, okay, right, when I asked you that question, took me right back to my school days. When, <laughs> Sorry, when, very impatient. Always science teachers because I paid no attention at all to science because I wasn't. <laughs> that's a sort of the way they used to speak to me, when I'd say. Why does it burn with a blue flame? Which is literally—I th- I th- I think that's a good question. Well, you know, it's literally the only thing I've taken away from uh, three, three. Hey, Finley, he wants to know why. Exactly, Finley's always one, always one. It's the postman. It's the
0: postman. Oh dear,
1: the
0: postman's wearing shorts. You can tell
1: it's summer. <laughs> it's like it's such a seventies. It's like such a beano thing, isn't it? Barking at the postman. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the only thing I've taken away from science is that mag- magnesium burns with a blue flame. It's never, I've never used that information at all in any practical circumstance. <laughs> um, our next question is asked by, without a doubt, name of the week, uh, which is Ray Challenger. <laughs> which is a which is a cracking name I mean, that must have been on. It
0: should be a private eye. Sure, you you think
1: he would be, um, and that also must have been on Homer's shortlist for, for special names when he changed his name Homer, Sim, Homer Simpson. That is rather than the Greek philosopher. Um, but Ray Ray challenges question is: Michael Dell's MSD UK has been loaning or giving overdraft facilities to a number of clubs in the Premier League and beyond for some years now. And there is talk that he's in the market for a club of his own. Can he do that, given that he's lent money to so many other clubs? And could he use one of the deals to engineer the leverage takeover of a club that owes him money? Um, Could he do
0: that? Uh, I I think he can, uh, because there's a difference between lending and investing as a shareholder the whole point about lending money is that it gives you no voting power so therefore in theory it gives you no influence over the day-to-day decisions of a club and the reason why um you're not allowed to own shares in two or more clubs in the same league is that if you did as as you know, as a shareholder you could, pr- could put pressure on the board of directors to say you know it's uh we've got two clubs here one's fifth one's 12th uh, one needs to get into the champions league uh, you know don't, don't try too hard and and that message would go yeah, through to yeah. the, the board of directors so so that that's the logic in in terms of, and and that that does it it preserves that sporting integrity which i think is so integral to to all of our sort of romantic beliefs in in the game um if you're a lender Yeah, Barclays lend money to to lots of clubs. Uh, MSD lends money to lots of clubs. Macquarie lends money to, to lots of clubs. Some of those clubs might be playing each other. They're not interested. You know, yeah, they just want to get their interest. Uh, you know on 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 the payments which are due, and and that's it. So it's 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 not a problem. Um, so he he could buy a club. He could have uh, an equity stake. Uh, that might make some of the clubs in in the league feel a bit uncomfortable. So yeah, you know, we could have a change of constitution uh for the clubs but that would have to be voted through um could he use one of these deals to engineer a leverage takeover of one of these clubs Uh, yes it's a good i guess because if the club is already indebted to him um he could he could come in and offer to buy the shares but uh you potentially the loans could be renegotiated on better terms so it it could be used to his benefit
1: i I always like a question with a a marxist tinge to it kieran we we don't get many <laughs> but this one does and i think it's actually a really interesting question it comes from matthew wilcox and matthew says that you kieran have often described money in football as being like prune juice with the majority spent on transfers and wages and then basically disappearing. But uh, Matthew says, with footballers getting most of that money and most footballers coming from working-class backgrounds, my question is, is there any industry more efficient at transferring money from billionaires and millionaires to the working classes? Granted, it's to individuals rather than communities, but surely no other industry makes so many millionaires out of working-class people.
0: Um, I'm... I, I agree uh, entirely with uh, with Matthew, and I think I've argued this on on many occasions. We, people complain about footballers' wages, but yeah, you know, my view is that if the players got less money and more money went to the owners, the owners tend to be the billionaires. Yeah, so you're you're actually transferring money from yeah, yeah our, our players in, in the Premier League um, on on a salary that is you know far in excess of of the the average in this country yes there are but but so are investment bankers you know so so are so are hedge fund managers so are arms dealers uh some are the directors of bet three six five you know yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so on and um, we we don't see that that same focus on on other industries that we do as far as footballers are concerned um so yeah I, I think that probably is the case i mean you 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 work in the entertainment industry now again, the entertainment industry, in my view is a bit like football is that it is a pure meritocracy you you cannot become. A, you cannot become a successful comedian because your uncle runs a theater. Yeah, you might, because you just get booed off stage. Yeah, mm. you, you just, you, just won't, you won't attract an audience. It's the, uh, whereas if you, if you look at the world of finance, um, th- there is a lot of nepotism. There is a lot of cronyism, you know, um, in it. And, and, and equally, there are people who are, you know, smart, smart, smarter than a, you know, a box of frogs. Mm. Um, I don't know why I said box of frogs. Um, So um, football is a meritocracy because if you're not good, you you cannot hide. You cannot hide on a pitch in the same way that you cannot hide on stage if you're a comedian
1: or a singer. You've either got the talent or you haven't. Mm. It's interesting as well, the people... And I find, we've discussed this before, Kieran, I, I find that most football fans don't begrudge the players getting money. As you say, they begrudge agents getting money and they begrudge... Billionaire owners getting more money, but in general, they understand that they're from a background that they would love it if their brother or their son or their daughter was playing football yeah. and getting that sort of money. Well, we, we, we've got an agent on the show on I'd, Wednesday. Uh, <coughs> I know we have. But I can't take that back now, Kieran, because <laughs> I'm sure he'd agree that that's true. Uh, <laughs> but it, 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 but it's interesting. But if they could see some of the figures as I had that top entertainers are paid on both mm. ITV and BBC. I think they'd be just as concerned if they're worried about how much footballers are getting. You know, these people are getting a huge amount of money, and no, and I, I, I don't begrudge them that because no. they because they've no. earned it for the most part, and they've got the talent to do it. And presenting a live TV show is actually much more difficult than people think it is. So I don't, yeah. I don't quite yeah. understand why people. And it, as I say, most people don't begrudge players, but they, so so you, you t- can see what some of the pundits get paid. Oh, I know! Oh, 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 oh. I, I know! I know. Well, see, those those ecological houses don't come cheap, Kieran. <laughs> uh, mentioning no names. No, 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 oh, no. 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 Um, Joe Garner has asked our next question. Uh, and this, again, is something that uh, – this is a league that more and more people are sounding concerned about. It's the National League. Joe Garner says, with some teams in the National League spending big money on transfer fees and wages, is there a risk it will become like the championship with teams taking a big financial gamble – and spending beyond their means to get promoted. And um, what I find interesting about that question, Kieran, as well, is it increasingly, if you get relegated from the Premier League to the Championship, chances are two out of three of those teams will come straight back up. But it's not like that. If you get if you get relegated to the National League, it's, it's hard to get out of that league, isn't it? So you've now got a lot of teams, ex-league teams, spending a lot of money desperate to get back into League Two.
0: Yeah, na- National League... He's now division five of of English football and I think all but one or two of the clubs are full-time professional. So so there, there has very much been a transformation. Um, I, I was talking to one of our mutual friends uh, and he knows who we are and we know who he is. Um, and, and he was saying National League North, the majority of clubs are also full-time professional. National League South, less so, uh, simply just because of the, if you think about the sort of the geographical you know, powerhouses of, of, of football. Um, but uh, at present, I think uh, the, the, the top three or four clubs in the uh, in the National League Stockport, Chesterfield, FC Halifax and Wrexham. Yeah, all, all clubs that you and I uh, you know, we, we grew up with as, as being clubs that were, were, were knocking around in, in the Football League and, and you know hardly perennials at that. So it, it is very tough to get out. Um, there, There is relatively little uh, financial control in, in terms of the equivalent of profitability and sustainability, and there is a big financial gap between the National League and the EFL because in the EFL, you don't just get the money. Um, from the EFL's own TV deal, and, that, and that's that's not huge. If if we're honest, it's probably you know probably worth in the region of 400, 450 grand a season. But you you do receive solidarity payments from the Premier League, and I think they're probably in the region of six hundred fifty to seven hundred thousand pounds. So um, yeah, the rewards of getting promoted to the uh, to the EFL are you know the, the additional TV money. It's probably a million pounds. You, you then got the the fact that you are higher profile you are going to be seen on is it, is it itv4 next season um you know you are shown your goals are shown on sky you, you do get the cameras coming more often um so therefore you can generate more more money as well but um so, some of the wages which which i've seen quoted uh, in in respect of the national league you, you've got players on four to four and a half grand a week um, you yeah, know that's that's a lot more than than we're seeing in, in many of the clubs in league two itself and, and we actually now have some club some players dropping out of uh, league one and league two to join clubs in the national league who have got new owners rich owners owners who are perhaps trying to make a netflix documentary on the back of buying a club possibly um and, and yeah they hope to recover some of their investment that way
1: that time of year and our friends at manscaped have the best tools for some spring cleaning in your pants time to clear out that winter bush and join the other four million men who trust manscaped just use code price of football to get 20 percent off and free shipping at manscaped.com and now
0: they've got a ball care bundle you'll find that their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, and let's face it, at our age, we're getting hair growing in strange places and it needs needs some weed whacking, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner for downstairs, the Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. And if you purchase now, you'll also get two free gifts,
1: the Performance Boxer Briefs and the Shed Travel Bag. Yeah, there's a heat wave coming, so you want to be smooth for that. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code Price of Football at Manscaped.com now. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code Price of Football at Manscaped.com. Time to throw out your old hygiene habits and upgrade your life.
0: or you're an aspiring musician, manager, or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon.
1: Now, our next question comes from the runner-up in the Best Name of the Week competition, uh, Clark Edison. Um, and Clark says this season my club Lincoln City are having up to five different home shirt sponsors at various parts of the season what are the benefits of this I presume more income and attracting sponsors who can't afford a whole season but could this be a future model for Premier League teams who love a bit of brand sponsorship um it could be I, I think you've, you've got to give um Lincoln
0: s- some credit here um you know they they realised. You, like you like linking, don't you? I, I, I like the yeah. Lincoln are uh, we, 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 they've asked us to do uh, a live show there, so yeah, we, we we'll be that going nice. to. Um, what what I think happened with Lincoln, and, and you can see it from their point of view that if, if if you take yourselves back eighteen months ago, we we were in COVID, um, and they were trying to negotiate uh, with sponsors for the twenty one season with no idea whatsoever as to whether crowds were going to appear. So actually it made it really difficult. If, if you're Manchester United or Liverpool, you know you're going to be on the television every week. So, you know, th- their existing sponsors, they're not actually bothered about the, you know, the the 40, 50, 60, 70,000 who aren't physically attending the match. They're concerned about the viewing figures. Mm. If you're Lincoln it's the reverse. You're not going to be shown on live TV. So, so what Lincoln did, and and this is, I think, indicative of of a, of, of a well run club. And, and and I'll be honest, I'm a big fan of the way that they run the club in yeah. terms of sustainability, uh, you know, transparency, and so on. So they, they went to sponsors, and and the sponsors were saying, you know, we we don't want to commit ourselves to a to a full year sponsorship deal. We don't know what's going to be happening. Lincoln were fully aware of that. So they said, right, what we'll do, we'll instead of asking for, let's say. Uh, you know a hundred grand for a sponsorship deal for the full season we'll go to five or six smaller sponsors and say look we can offer you a package of four or five matches and we'll charge you you know 15 20 grand a piece and everybody wins you know the club probably got more money than it would have done from a single sponsor and the individual sponsors they knew that they were going to get some exposure but they were still within um their marketing budget so i, I don't i don't you know, I think it was you know, a canny piece of thought. Um the fan, the fans also sort of say, yeah, you know, we're not over keen on sponsors. And and I went on to the the Lincoln City website and, and the merchandise page and, and this this is something which I really like. The home shirt, no sponsor name. Fantastic. The away shirt, yeah, there is a sponsor name. So so that's that's fine. So so here you've got the choice. Um they also had, and, and I was I was very tempted, but I managed to resist. On on the grounds of divorce, um, if, if another football shirt arrived. and, she, and the Baroness goes, why, "Why have you bought a Lincoln City away shirt from 1997?" Well, it's it's it just looks sort of sort of faded green and white hoops. She says, yeah, "You don't know what green is, I go, yeah, but it says green on the label, so yeah, you know. <laughs> that, that's how I know it's green. I read, I can read. She's, um, she's got a point." She has got but yeah, it
1: just it, it just looked a good shirt. Yeah. Um I feel we should point out here, Kieran, for the benefit of any new listeners, that you are colourblind. Very colourblind. You, you know me. it's not necessary that the Baroness has to point out some obvious things. You don't know what green is, you fool. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, you, people will probably find that out on Thursday
0: when, I, when, I, when, when, unless you know, if I'm let out of the house under my own steam, God knows what I'll
1: look like. Well, I've asked, um, I've asked secretly, I've asked the entire audience for our live show to come in green and red shirts, just to <laughs> just to see how that baffles you for the first ten minutes of the show. <laughs>
0: um. So yeah. So so fair fair play to Lincoln. They that they preempted the concerns. Um, The fans ended up with the the ability to buy a shirt with no sponsor name. Sponsors were able to commit a smaller amount of money but still get some access and still still support the club. And and the club probably recouped. I don't think they made any more money, but they would have
1: not had that awkward position of potentially not having a sponsor at all it's i find it really interesting I, I, i've not met representatives of the sponsors of of top premier league teams for the most part but i have met a couple of people who sponsor teams at lower levels and they're always incredibly proud yeah it, for the most part it's not it's like the people who, who sponsor dulwich hamlet it's it's not it's not really about the, the you know the visibility but they just want to put proud sponsors of Dulwich Hamlet on their posters and and they just they just love being in the lounge at the games they 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 generally do it because most of them support the team that they 're sponsoring at, at that level, which is always a a nice thing to behold um, Tom Lawrence has asked our next question, and I hope producer guy is listening to this. As Tom Lawrence says, as a 44-year-old accountant who loves football, <laughs> your podcast is right up my street. That, that's our demographic producer guy. It's Tom Lawrence right there, 44-year-old accountant. He's on the younger end of our demographic producer guy. Stop trying to attract the teenagers. Does There's- this mean our TikTok account is going to be abandoned again? Uh, probably. <laughs> very, very, very good. Yeah. Although if we, if we do have any teenage listeners, they would have jumped ship. Halfway through the undertones conversation, I'd imagine. (laughs) Uh, But Tom says, thank you for all your hard work. You're very welcome, Tom, and thank you for thanking us. Uh, The issue of how to solve the financial gulf between the Premier League and the Championship seems impossible to solve, says Tom. Is there any mileage in the idea we could reduce or remove parachute payments if it became mandatory that every Premier player contract included a clause whereby wages are reduced by, say, 50% upon relegation what is it with your accountants and mileage you love getting mileage in there, don't you it's a good question you mentioned kieran that we've got an agent coming on craig honeyman onto our next yes. pod who's graciously agreed to answer questions from uh listeners and this would be a good one to, to put to him because it to me tom lawrence's suggestion makes perfect sense i'm guessing to agents and to players it, it doesn't okay i, th- I think it, there's a couple of issues here um
0: on, on, on the back of Tom's suggestion, I, I went through and I looked at the wage bill of every club that's been relegated for, from the last 10 years, from the Premier League to the Championship. Um, on average, uh, those clubs who were relegated and who didn't immediately bounce back and therefore got big promotion bonuses, the, the average wage reduction of a club uh, coming down was 40%. Right. And, yet, and that was with parachute payments and... A lot of the time, they were still losing money. In order for um, Tom's suggestion to work and for those clubs to break even, the 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 uh, relegation clauses would have to be somewhere in the region of eighty to eighty five percent. And I think there's 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 a couple of consequences of this. First of all, if if uh, let's say that you're you're a club and you are seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth in the table in January. And you are trying to sign a a new centre forward from Europe. And you say, right, well, yeah, we'll we'll pay you out. Our going rate's 40 grand a week. Um, And, yeah, we'll offer you a three and a half year contract. And he says, yeah, three, okay, 40 grand a week, three and a half year contract. That's 7 million quid. Uh, Yeah, happy days. And then you say, uh, but if we are relegated, you're going to have to go and take an 85% pay cut. And he'll go, hold on. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm already. Let's say I'm already on 15k, where I'm playing in, you know, in Belgium or Portugal or, or Netherlands or whatever, whatever. So I'm going to get 40 grand for six months, and then there's a chance I'm going to lose. You know, so you, you're you're going to struggle to attract players. And I had this conversation with, uh, with a former chief executive of a of of another 14 club. You know, you, yeah. you know, we know what type of clubs we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. And he says, um, we we do try to negotiate these, but. We, we then have to be practical. If if we want the player, then the player's agent is fully aware of that, the player is fully aware, and they simply won't come. So mm-hmm. therefore, if we try to enforce a, a relegation clause of that magnitude, we're effectively committing commercial suicide because we can't attract the talent and we do get relegated. And then, of course, you've got the fans screaming that the club lacks ambition. So so I think that's um, that's one consideration. Um I think the second issue, which which it brings into the equation, is you know, we've we've spoken to Steve Kavanagh, we we've spoken to Keith Wyness recently, and they both said there is a problem of the of the cliff edge. Would Premier League two be a solution? Yeah. And if there was a more equitable distribution of money between not 20 clubs but forty-four clubs, then the cliff edge disappears. And I think you you could have uh, less of an issue when clubs are relegated. What does that also cause? That also causes a much bigger cliff edge between yeah. the Championship and cliff League edge. One, and yeah. it's already yeah. big. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. The, the difference between League One TV money one and a half million pounds, Championship TV money seven and a half to eight million pounds plus. You know, in the Championship, you've got you've got a lot of big clubs bringing a lot of away fans. I mean to be fair, I don't I cannot recall a third tier of English football with so many what what I would call big clubs, you know, Sunderland, Wednesday, Pompey and and uh, you know and others, Ipswich. Another, Ipswich. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um there there needs to be a rethink. Um but try, trying to get it through under the present system where the the big six still want more money from because they think they're subsidising the rest of football. The the other fourteen want more money to be able to have a competitive Premier League, and of course that all means that they they don't want to give up further monies to the clubs in the EFL. It there there is no simple solution to this, unfortunately. I, I wish there was because. I've I've created so many spreadsheet models when people have suggested various things to me and wasted hundreds and hundreds of hours and I come to the
1: conclusion that you can't have a system in which everyone wins. Yeah, Kieran, I'm, su- I'm surprised to hear you say that any moment with a spreadsheet is wasted. <laughs> yes. There's always something you can learn. Our next question comes from Thomas Nicholson. And Thomas says, Colwyn Bay FC recently joined the Welsh Pyramid. They're currently playing in Comrie North after being in the conference as recently as 2015. Apparently, away travel was a factor in this decision. But what are the other financial benefits of being in the Welsh system rather than the English pyramid at level 6, 7, 8? Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I, th- I think this is, a, this is a corker from from Thomas. Uh, you yeah, Col- know, Colwyn Bay is, is a fair distance from a lot of places in Wales. So, yeah. you know, it, um, the... The benefits um, to Colwyn Bay FC of being in the Welsh Pyramid is Europe, and again we, we, we spoke about this in respect of an earlier question with regards to um, you know the, the potential creation of, of the uh, of the Atlantic League. But um, if, if we take a look at the uh, at a fairly recent uh, document from our good friends at UEFA, um, you've got TNS, Connors P, Barlatown, and Newtown AFC. All were in various preliminary rounds of UEFA competitions. Now, TNS uh, got eight hundred and fifty thousand euro. Uh, Connor's Key got eight hundred and ten thousand. euros Town and Newtown got a quarter of a million euro each. Are you going to be getting that in National League South or the you know, tiers six or seven? Yeah, you know, five, six or seven of the English uh, system. No, you're not. So because Wales is a separate member of UEFA and therefore its clubs are allowed to enter, albeit at the you know, at the preliminary rounds of European competition, it does give them access to further money. So if Colwyn Bay FC are successful, they get to Cymru Premier and they therefore qualify on, on merit to, to, to apply for um UEFA competition, it could be a fairly decent earner for, yeah. for a for a small club. And you know, no disrespect, they're never going to finish in the top
1: six of the Premier League, which is the alternative in England. Yeah. Uh, penultimate question comes from Nick Harvey. And Nick says, What are your thoughts on West Ham's partnership with the Yield app? I'm concerned that the club is actively promoting what is essentially an unregulated platform with statements such as earn as much as 20.5% annual interest at the touch of a button and access to some of the best investment opportunities. Um, well, you know, I've said this on, on
0: more than one occasion when it comes to any form of investment, if something looks too good to be true, <laughs> it's not true. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I don't think it looks great from from West Ham's point of view, but then you know there are there are the the NFTs, the club tokens, the the crypto links, um, and, and the gambling sponsorship. So I, I don't think this should necessarily be looked through a, a separate moral or ethical or financial prudential uh, uh, perspective. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things. Let the buyer beware. I, I I think that. You know, my personal view is is that football clubs are community assets and should hold up community values and encouraging directly or indirectly anybody to invest in an effectively an unregulated product is is pretty pretty just pretty despicable yeah. but
1: you know it's not illegal. Yeah, you wanted to say wrong then, but you wanted, then you wanted something stronger. I know I know how your mind works. I can always hear your mind working. Just pick all's good. <laughs> our final question comes from Steve Morley, and Steve Morley is a Borough fan um, and says, there is increasing division between those who believe Steve Gibson to be our saviour and only has the club at heart, and others who believe he's lost interest in making money from the club by drawing money out of it over the years and saving tax using the club against his more profitable interests. From going back through the accounts of the club or group, can you see what he has taken out to offset the tax and see if it's a net benefit or whether he's indeed got more money than sense? Now, to outsiders, Kieran, Steve, um, Steve Gibson's always come across as one of those owners that you would be happy looking after your club. He seems a safe pair of hands. He's been there for a long time, saved them from almost inevitable doom, and he's quick to defend his club, as we saw this week when Ch- Chelsea tried to... Uh, convince the FA that the game should be played <laughs> behind closed doors and then even better Chelsea tried to convince the FA that um, Chelsea fans should be given tickets for nothing so they can follow their club so from my point of view I, I, would, I would be a Steve Gibson fan but it's interesting to note that other Borough fans don't think the same way okay um spookily uh, at 10 past six this morning
0: yeah, oh. and you're thinking, is there such a time? No, yeah, or, or bedtime. Might um Middlesbrough's twenty twenty-one accounts were published. Um, so, sorry, sorry I think I was possibly more excited than that <laughs> even. Um so um Middlesbrough have lost over the years two hundred and thirty-three million pounds, and the vast majority of those losses have been covered by Steve Gibson, either through buying shares in the club or lending money to the club. Um, and uh, you know, if, if you take a look at the accounts, it says yes, we, we owe Steve Gibson, you know, some, somewhere in the region. I think it's around about 120 million pounds. Um, but uh, he he is indicated that he is not going to ask for it back. So uh, he has been a uh, he's been a supporter of the club in more ways than one. With regards to this tax issue, um, what happens is that um, Middlesbrough. Uh, football club Middlesbrough Football and Athletic Club Company brackets 1986 limited should i say um has historically um surrendered some of its tax losses to uh, another company in the group so steve gibson has a has a very successful haulage company and and um th- this is what's known as as group relief which uh to uh to people who watch other parts of the internet uh, might come as a surprise (laughs) that it's something to do with tax. Um, But... Um, that is that is perfectly legal. So when when Middlesbrough lose money, um, un, and, and they're not doing this anymore, I think the rules have been changed in my understanding relatively recently. Um, if, if you lose money as a football club and the haulage company is uh, making profits, what you can do is you can say, well, you can offset our losses against your profits and reduce the overall tax bill. Um, so so that has happened. In terms of who has been the greater beneficiary, um, Steve Gibson has put a hell of a lot more money into Middlesbrough Football Club than has been transferred uh, in, in terms of, of, of right. group relief. So um, he, you know, his, his net contribution is still, uh, you know, we, are, we are talking somewhere in the region of over £200 million. Based on my calculations, of course, other calculations are available.
1: Yeah, yeah, they might be available, Karen, but I won't be checking those (laughs) shoddy calculations done on the back of a beer mat. Now, as we've mentioned already, on Thursday's pod, we'll be talking to football agent Craig Honeyman, and he's happy to answer your questions. So if you have a question for Craig Honeyman, then send him to the usual address, which is questions at priceoffootball.com. We will be seeing 250 of you on Thursday night for our first Mm. ever Price of Football live show at Plough Lane Wimbledon and that could be 256 of you because they've made six tickets extra available if you want to buy one of those just go to the link in the episode description and if you want to make a small contribution to always free to airpod that'd be very kind of you and you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash price of football and if you have questions of any nature about any club in any league in any country in any world it's questions at priceoffootball.com and in the meantime i shall hand you over to mr kieran Maguire for his customary farewell well as always, thanks for the feedback thanks for the support
0: uh from the show in, in so many ways we we, we genuinely are, are touched by it um if, if you want to support the show patreon is one vehicle and and you owe know, for as little as a pound a month you can you can show a bit of uh, love for the show um, but you can do it in other ways as well and one of those ways is to go onto your app uh, for for which you download your your uh, podcasts and uh, just just write a review and uh, it, it, yeah if, if you want to give us five stars always very grateful um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter what you say on the app. You you can say you'd rather have it presented by Jimmy Somerville and Nardine Dorris, <laughs> and, and, I, and I I I would listen to that. Uh, I'm not quite sure I'd understand it, but I certainly would listen to it, and and it wouldn't make a blind difference to where we are in the charts or anything like that. Um, so apart from that, uh, we are so looking forward to to seeing some of you. Uh, on on Thursday at Wimbledon and uh yeah if, if that goes well then uh you know Lincoln Peterborough Accrington Plymouth and and other places I think Tranmere as well they they've all invited us as well so uh you yeah, know we we will be we will be setting up the the mystery machine um and, and hopefully coming to a venue near you later in the year
1: i, I think any podcast hosted by Jimmy Somerville and the Dean Doris would end up After 15 seconds in the fist fight. (laughs) Which I would predict would be quite a close one. I don't think those two would be a meeting of minds. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: I've